Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. All right, once again, this is Lita Downs from the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence, and we are presenting Professional Doctorate Mentoring Masterclass number seven, one of Dr. Lee Statlander's greatest new offerings for 2024. And the topic for this masterclass is Translating Skills in Professional Doctorates to Employment. We do want to let you know that the master classes are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. And once again, today's session will be translating skills and professional doctorates to employment. And the purpose of this particular class is to have professional doctoral mentors discuss how they help students understand the skills they are learning in the professional doctorate and how they may be applied when they seek employment. The goal for this session is to provide a list of usable strategies for mentors to understand the basics of mentoring. And without further ado, I am going to turn things over to our lead moderator, Dr. Lee Statlander, who will introduce our panelists. Welcome, Dr. Statlander. Thanks, Lita. Great job, as always. Mm -hmm. um, I'm Lee Statlander, and I'm the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. So let's introduce our panel members. First, Barbara Benolio, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Dr. Stetlander, for having me. My name is Barbara Benolio. I'm senior core faculty in the School of Human Services and teach mostly in the professional doctorate and the PhD programs. And Kristen Wigginton. Thank you. Um, I'm Dr. Kristen Wigginton, and I'm the research coordinator for the um, DHA, the Doctor of Healthcare Administration program here at Walden, and also the PhD in Health Services program. Um, my background is in epidemiology, um, but I've done a lot of mentoring over the years, and I oversee the mentoring and the committees for uh, those two programs. Very good. So I'd like to start with why would a student pick to do a professional doctorate over a PhD? Can you kind of lay that out for us? Sure. Uh, you know, I've had students ask me that over the last few years. And my first, um, as a faculty member, I only worked with a PhD, with PhD students. Uh, so my opportunity here working with the DHA students has really allowed me to broaden my, um, just my understanding of what the ProDox is, is about and what it's for. Um, there's a lot of opportunities out in, um, you know, within the workplace where they currently are, where our students currently are. Um, also opportunities for advancement. Um, our capstone primarily, especially with the pro-docs, and most pro-docs work like this, where you focus on a practice-based problem, uh, which then allows you to, um, say, find solutions, um, deal with, with situations that occur on a day-to-day -day basis or within the real workplace. Uh, so that's something that within, you know, the pro-doc then, it allows them to take that to the workplace and then um, possibly use that for, you know, real real life situations that they deal with and also for possible advancement. Um, so the PhD is primarily to work with, you know, say scholarly research um, and DHAs can also do that, but primarily uh, what they focus on is practice-based problems. And just to build on, on that, 
Dr. Wigington, I know when I'm mentoring a student, one of the questions I ask them uh, right at the beginning is, what do you want to be when you grow up, basically? And right. try, and even though you can mid-career, at this point, if you're looking to be an expert in the field, to be out practicing in the field and working in the field, then the, probably the professional doctorate has a lot more to offer you. If you're looking for an academic and research life, then perhaps a PhD might be a better alternative. So it really depends on the goal of the student when they're starting their journey for a higher degree. What do they see themselves doing five years from now or 10 years from now? And what are the skills that they're going to need? And where should they go in order to gain those skills? So that's how I sort of analyze the difference between the two. Right. So do they differ in how long it takes to get the degree? Well, I know in our uh, program, the professional doctorate is a shorter program. And mm -hmm. it was designed that way. It has some features that are different, including our program does not include residencies. The residency material is built into the coursework uh, because students are in the field and they're doing practice. They're actually, most of them, already practitioners. So the opportunities for them to use their field experience is really valuable. So it actually reduces the time. And the skills that are being taught are also different. Perhaps a methodology that might take you a year or two to master in a PhD, you won't need that same skill level for research. So you can concentrate the coursework. So usually for us, the capstone study can be completed very easily within, within a year and a half. And I'll just add to that for the DHA, um, we just uh, recently changed our capstone to um, an, a non-empirical type of study. And uh, that took our students from something that might take two years down to three to six terms. Mm. Wow, that is short. Mm -hmm. So what kind of courses do they take? You kind of mentioned that, Barbara. But can you go into a little more detail? Absolutely, yeah. The courses that we have in that professional doctorate are really geared to giving the student the kinds of skills. There's a skill-based program they're going to need in the field. And much of the program is looking at what role they're going to be playing. Are they going to be playing an external role where they're advocating in the community? Or are they going to be playing an internal role where they're leading an organization or leading a program or a project? So those skills are evaluation skills, either program evaluation or action research. How do you engage in advocacy in the field? Uh, we have grant writing because I know much of our area in social sciences is funded through grants. We want them to have that ability. Uh, we have leadership courses and consulting courses that prepare the graduates to have an opportunity to be either internal consultant or an external consultant. So there's a lot of variety of skill-based courses in the program. Kristen, any other thoughts? Yes, we, um, like I said, we just changed our capstone to an integrated review, which is non-empirical. And so when we started working on changing the capstone, uh, for people that don't know the DHA, the prior capstone was a secondary data analysis study. So um, we wanted to get something that was more practice-based that allowed our students to actually apply uh, problems that they possibly have dealt with in their career or are dealing with. Um, and especially with the pandemic brought on a lot of issues. And so when we were changing this over to the integrative review, we went back and over the course of two years, 
we scaffolded the skills that are you know, necessary to complete the integrative review into the courses. So all of our courses in the DHA program touch upon and build on the skills that would, you know, the student would be required to use to complete the capstone. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things that we're most proud of is that we, you know, it's not just one course. We do have a research methods course that kind of goes over everything for the students. But in all of the courses, they're actually doing skills and being tasked with completing projects that help them in the end. So could you describe what an integrated review is for anybody who might not know? Yes. An integrated review is what we're asking our students to do is to um, use literature, um, but literature specific to practice-based problems and then also practice-based solutions. So in the, um, the first term, they work on their project plan, which used to be prospectus, um, and they actually review the literature for um, to substantiate and build what is the problem. What is the actual real life problem that you, you know, that um, practitioners are dealing with on a day to day basis or within the field? And then the second term is where they actually use the literature then to um, answer the problem, the review, the review question. And we task them with using uh, the Johns Hopkins empirical and non-empirical literature review tools where they actually, you know, they have to tell us how good is this source? Is this a good source? Is this, a, you know, and they have to justify it. And then in the end, they basically write up a, you know, a white paper, a 20 to 30 page paper um, that also has literature review matrices in them, um, theme, you know, the themes that they pulled out of the literature and also a thematic map. So it's a very, you know, it's a very involved process. It's not any easier than a secondary data study. Um, but what is better is that it's more meaningful for them. There's a clearer process to completion and there's no barriers involved as far as like finding data. So, so they are in charge of their process and they can complete their process. It's all within them. Great. Barbara, how does your professional doctorate differ as far as the final product? So our students get to choose depending upon their, their sort of direction, whether they are going to either advocacy or leadership, we have those two different streams. Uh, we do have a traditional in terms of students collecting and analyzing data from the field. It can be secondary data that's already been established through an organization, or they can actually go out and do a modified action research study where they will collect groups of people and ask them questions about what would fix this problem. They then draft uh, a study review uh, report that it includes what they've done, including a literature review. And then the last thing that they do is summarize that in a white paper that is meant to be disseminated. So if they are reviewing something like a policy or a procedure or a law or a practice in the field, that white paper can then be delivered to the organization as a report about here's what we are suggesting you do based on the research that has been done here. And that white paper really becomes a calling card for them to use as a dissemination tool and as part of the capstone. So we really are excited that they have something that they can take with them that also demonstrates their skills of being able to both research and write 
uh, a usable report that can inform lawmakers or policymakers. That's how the whole capstone works. So have you looked into what is the field looking for as far as skills? You know, do you feel like you're answering those needs and how do you know? We did a really uh, well established, well-rounded uh, program review before we started this program to collect from the field, the perspectives of leaders in the field, what do they want? What are they looking for? And that's what we use to help build the courses and the whole program, because we want to ensure that our graduates are what we call field ready. So they came back and said, we want leaders who are trained in leadership, who know how to lead organizations, because human services is run on nonprofit organizations or government assisted or facilitated organizations. So they wanted those leadership skills. They also wanted evaluation skills, people who can evaluate what we're doing so that we have evidence that what we're doing is effective because that kind of evaluation drives funding. So that combination of leadership and the ability to know how to get funding plus advocacy, being a community leader, having a voice in the community to advocate for the needs of the people who cannot advocate for themselves, which is the human services calling card. So we asked the field what they wanted. This is what they came back to us and said, this is what we want from the people who are looking to hire. Nice. Kristen, any difference? No, we did the same. And uh, what we kept getting back over and over again was we, you know, they wanted people, um, leaders who actually could um, review a lot of information and synthesize it and come to a decision um, based on that information. And that was not something that we were that we were giving our students with the secondary data study. Um, and so that is one of the things when I was when I was tasked with finding, you know, what are we going to replace this with? Um, that's why I landed on the integrated review, because I felt like it gave our students the best opportunity to use those skills, review a lot of information that meant something to them in their workplace, and then actually come up with a decision um, and provide solutions that are real and, you know, also meaningful. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but that's essentially, we got the same information back from uh, leaders out in the field was that, you know, they, they need people that can review information and make decisions on the fly using that information. And you kind of touched on this, but what skills, what specific skills do you see as being evident in your professional doctorate? I'm particularly interested in like writing or communication. Do you feel like students are coming out with specific things that they need? Yes, I think that again, this is a this is a heavy synthesis type of project. Um, a lot of you know information that has to be reviewed. We require our students to upload all articles into Canvas um, because we want to make sure that they are actually you know accessing all that information and and doing the work themselves. So that is one of the things that we require is that they upload all articles and, um, you know, and then we, the, the writing part of it, I think is more difficult because uh, than say possibly even the secondary data study, you know, like the traditional four sections, 
because um, again, it's about synthesizing the information, uh, not belaboring the point uh, over and over again, but getting to the point mm-hmm. and doing so in a succinct manner um, that's that's you know easily understood, but um, but well written. That's hard. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, I think it's true. We're really creating indi- you know, independent consultants, people who can go in the field and act as independently as consultants to their own organizations or to wherever they are working and really create that knowledge and skill in being able to analyze what's happening and to give recommendations or suggestions or solutions. So that's the, the sort of the key of what we're trying to achieve is create that both the consulting component of whatever they're doing and that entrepreneurial spirit that you are going to be the one in charge to make the decision. So you better have some some knowledge about what you're doing. Do you have writing courses? Through oh through Walton, well, the course is not necessarily writing, mm-hmm. but each of our courses has integrated a component of that writing so that they're really learning in every course along the way is so that the old way is we're going to separate the writing course and stick it separate. We've actually integrated that into the coursework so that oh. you're developing capstone right from the beginning and the skills for capstone are part of that. And I think that's what you were saying as well, Dr. Wiggington. Yes, that is. Um, we've tried to imp- uh, implement that scaffolded across the curriculum. And one of the great things about we're only our, in our second term, our second full term of students uh, in the new capstone. Um, so it, the great thing about it is that as we I meet with my mentors every week uh, and I get feedback from them and they get feedback from the students. And then we go back to the drawing board and see what else do we need to tweak or change with the courses to make it better for our students. Nice. And so, the addition of those companion courses that you added, the one credit companion courses, which we have also similar to what they have in the PhD, also helped give us a little bit more time and energy for students to focus on those particular capstone skills. Right. What is your final, I mean, like in the PhD, you have a final defense. Do you have anything similar? Are they presenting at all? Yes. We, our students will, will do an oral presentation. They do go through form and style because um, we, we do want them to possibly submit for um, publication or for presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do submit to form and style. They will do an oral presentation uh, and it will go to CAO for review at the end. Um, so yes, it is something, but we, in that last term, we try to help them get, um, you know, uh, prepared for some type of publication or presentation. Is it just to faculty or do they bring in their community partner? They don't have a community partner per se oh, for yeah. their, for the integrative review. I mean, it's just, again, they pull in something because not all of our students are working in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So when we made this decision to go with this type of capstone, we had to take that into consideration that we wanted to present something that was fair and equal across the board for all our students. So um, so they don't have a community partner, but they will present to their mentor and to um, like I serve as the program reviewer. And so I'll sit in on them um, kind of as the second member 
because that isn't something I mentioned before. We only have one mentor. Uh, so there's one mentor that works with them. And then there's some checkpoints in there where um, the PPR, which is myself, mm -hmm. I go in and I review within Canvas. There's no task stream. I go into Canvas and review uh, at those checkpoints. And then I approve or send it back to the student for revisions. Um, so I'm kind of serving as that second member. Our program has the traditional two member, but in our final capstone, one of the tasks that we ask students to do is present the white paper in terms of presenting it both to the faculty, but also prepare the white paper so that it can be presented to the audience of that they designate, whether it's an internal or an external audience. But also the next step that we do is we also make sure that students have to upload that white paper to the career hub, to their own resume and their career hub so that they have this demonstration of their ability to draft the white paper right available as part of their, you know, their resume to go forward to, to take out of Walden. And they can use that as a, another career stepping stone in terms of introducing themselves to an organization where they either want to have the opportunity or consideration that this is the, one of the skills they're bringing and they, they can actually show it to them. Nice. So what do students use their degree for in the field? Is this, they're just moving up in the organization? You tend to see something else. Well, I've seen in our, in our graduates some opportunities that have come up from the skills that they've learned that they can then turn and market as independently skills that are needed in the field. So for example, uh, grant writing is something many organizations would love to have somebody who can help them get a grant. That's a skill that can be marketed as an independent consultant. Oh. Uh, program evaluation is another one. Many programs need evaluation to be able to apply for those grants, but they don't know how to go about doing a really valid and, and reliable program evaluation. Our graduates can do that. So they can take some of these skills and market the skills independently of actually working within any specific organization, or they can enhance an organization and leadership by using those skills within a growth organization. Do they have any training in being a consultant? I mean, we have a course for it. We have a course in our, in our program that if you decide that's the direction you wanna go, you can take that particular course. Mm -hmm. Nice. Kristen? What do you uh, do? Yeah, it's a little bit different for healthcare. I mean, we have students that, you know, there's so many different types of health service organizations. And then, you know, you just look at the, you know, the number of levels of leaders within those organizations. Um, so again, with the capstone that we're going with now, what we're finding is that the students are able to pick something that's, um, that means something to them that they've dealt with. Um, again, with the secondary data, a lot of times by the time I, I help the students find data, they were so far away from where anything they've experienced or what might mean something to them. No one wants anyone to work on a capstone that doesn't really mean anything to them. I, you know, so this is something that we, you know, again, is most likely something they've dealt with. And within the workplace, I mean, what we want for them is we want them to either, you know, just have that you know, sense of fulfillment that they've created something, they've accomplished something that, you know, they can then take to the workplace, um, communicate it to their leaders 
and then possibly, again, be more comfortable where they are or rise up the chain or move somewhere else. But, you know, it's something that, uh, again, fits for what they need for their career. So do you talk to students about how to market their degree, kind of that last step? So you've got a doctorate now. How are you going to let people know? I've met with many students about the next step and just the job search. Um, again, the pandemic brought a lot of change for everyone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our students lost their jobs or found themselves in, say, positions that were not where they thought they'd be. Um, you know, maybe in 2020, they by 2023, they thought they'd be a lot further along than they than they are. So with the marketing aspect of it, I think, um, you know, we, I meet with them and just, you know, kind of go through like how to search for positions, um, how to network. And um, that is also something that we talk about in a couple of our courses is just how to network and how to get um, information out there about yourself. And, you know, so I think, yeah, that's something that we're always wanting to do for our students is, um, you know, is help them get that leg up in the job search. Yeah. yeah. And, and now with technology being so helpful and assisting, there's a couple of things that we've tried to do. Number one, we've aligned our program with the Career Hub, with Walden's Career Hub, and made sure that the Career Hub and the students can work together throughout the program, designing and developing how they want to market themselves after they graduate. And we really encourage them even in our, you know, doing webinars internally on things like LinkedIn and Indeed, things that are available to help students promote their, their skills and sort of repositioning themselves and remarketing themselves as a doctoral graduate, which has so much clout just by virtue of the title already puts them ahead of other potential candidates for the role and specifically with the skills that they've got. So yeah. using both the new technology in career planning, like LinkedIn, like indeed all these different search tools and engines that promote you, along with Walden's Career Hub, which has really got fabulous resources, the two work together really well. Very good. Can you talk a little bit more about the Career Hub? I don't have much information about that. Well, Walden has an amazing career hub where there are career experts, career planning experts who help students use their resumes and develop resumes that are targeting where and what they want to do with their life. So there's always been all kinds of ongoing webinars and material courses, plus one-on-one -on -one consulting advising with career experts. And each program actually has someone in the Career Hub who is aligned or knows more about that field. So it's really easy for both students and faculty to connect with the Career Hub. And when we start with the professional doctor program, aligning with their um, offerings really was a great opportunity for us to gain that market insight as well as you'd be able to help students market, graduate and market themselves. So it's something that's almost like one of the, the best kept secrets of Walden is our career. It is, absolutely. 
Now, is this available for alumni as well as current students? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Now, I don't know all the details, so I don't want to make a commitment. Right. But Dina is our hero. Dina Bergen is our hero at the Career and Planning Hub. She's the one who has helped us so much to align the programming. And uh, I highly recommend that you connect with the Career Hub if you're interested. It looks like Dina put her site up in the chat. Yeah. Thank you, Dina. Awesome. So do we have any questions from the audience? Feels like you gave us so much information today. And you can also raise your hand and I will unmute you or put it in the chat. Oh, I just, can I add something real quick? Sure. So we also have students, because this happens when you do switch capstones, um, we have a lot of students bridging from the old DHA capstone to the new, and we even have had some students bridge from the PhD um, to the new DHA um, after I spoke with them and kind of went over things and realized that, that what they wanted to do especially uh, would work well with the DHA. And so one of the things that we do with those students that are going to be bridging, they do have to take the research methods course, uh, the integrative review research methods course. But I also meet with them then uh, every week uh, leading up to then their switch so that I can try and do my best to get them up to speed on the, you know, the new process and all of that. Um, but we we felt like we had to offer a bridge opportunity for our students um, if they wanted to do that. So I just wanted to add that. That's really good, yeah. Looks like Morris Figurano asked, do the students in your programs use yes. theoretical or conceptual framework? Yes, Morris, that's very important for our students. And in fact, um, I just meeting with my bridge students last week, uh, spent the whole hour and a half with them on that um, and making sure they understand that. But yes, the theoretical and or conceptual framework is, is crucial not only for the problem statement section, but also where we require uh, that they use it as their framework for the answering the review question. And Morris, we've actually tried to help students by uh, targeting some theoretical and conceptual frameworks. So for example, if our student is conducting a force field analysis as their capstone method or their study, we'll ask them to use Lewin's change theory because that is where force fields sort of arrive from, the same idea uh, if they're going to be using advocacy, we're going to ask them to use action research as both the model and the framework to help them. So the connection between both the method and the framework, the concepts that are in the framework or the theory is sort of part of the development of the student where they're learning this method. They're also learning the frameworks that are aligned with that method. Um, and if, if it's a, a program evaluation, we may even ask them or allow them to use the logic model because that sort of was the direction, here's what we we're trying to achieve and here's how we're going to achieve it to provide that framework for the study. And that would be specifically for program evaluation. So yeah, we do have both conceptual and theoretical frameworks. Any other questions from anyone? While we're waiting, is there anything else that you feel like you haven't covered that you would like to? I think this is the hottest thing since sliced bread in terms of opportunity for the field and the future. I am so glad that Walden has this, op this offering uh, as an alternative. And it's not taking the place of the traditional PhD. There's the place for both mm -hmm. and how well they complement each other. 
Kristen, other thoughts? Yes, I was not an easy convert uh, from the you know beginning because, like I said, at Texas Women's University, I was a chair for twenty years. You know, PhD only. Uh, so, um, you know, I've done qualitative, quantitative, and mixed method studies. But my goodness, the more I spent time with our students um, and talked to our faculty, I realized that for the DHA, it just had to happen. And and now I'm we're we're reaping the benefits from that. Our students are as well. That um, that change because we've we piqued more interest in our program. Um, again, students, they're not floundering like they were. Like I like a process where a student gets in there and they kind of know pretty quickly whether they're going to be able to complete this or not. So there's no more being in something for two years possibly um, or being in three terms and then leaving for a term and then coming back for three terms and then leaving for, we all know this. Yeah. I mean, and then they never finish. So I like the the fact that our students are going to know within a couple of terms if this is going to be something that they're going to be able to do or not. And, um, you know, hopefully most of them can. But for those that maybe are not going to be successful for whatever reasons, um, they can move on to something else. And we're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be staying around here very, very long. Mm -hmm. Does the degree seem like it's being well recognized in the field? I mean, people have problems using a professional doctorate as opposed to a PhD? In healthcare administration, it's actually better. Okay. Like the DHA is actually more recognized. Mm -hmm. I mean, the PhD is more recognized globally, but within healthcare administration, the DHA is as reputable and more recognized. And I think for the DHS, it's actually too early for us to judge. We don't have enough experience out in the field yet, but so far it's been very well accepted. Would a student have the option to go into academics if they decided they wanted to teach or anything? Yes, I actually met with a woman the other day that was trans, she's bridging from PhD to um, DHA. Um, and, you know, she's an older woman. Um, and I think in her mind, she thought PhD was the only way that she could possibly teach. Mm -hmm. um, and so I met with her and, and realized that she she didn't want to do really empirical research, but she did want to possibly teach down the road. And I told her that that was absolutely a, a possibility that we even have DHAs teaching here at Walden. So, you know, I, I look across the board at our faculty and we have pro, pro docs everywhere uh, in our with our contributing faculty. So I think once she realized that, then she decided to make the switch and I think, yeah, she's going to be able to to work with her community organization um, in assisting, um, you know, previously incarcerated individuals with their health care, but also um, possibly teach. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Morris asked a question. I just want to answer him real quick. Um, so the integrated review is um, it, it's not as. Um, we don't overly task our students with doing, say, um, the statistical analysis that might be required for a meta-analysis, um, you know, or for a systematic review. So the integrative review is much more used in healthcare, and that's one of the reasons we went with it. Used a lot in nursing leadership research, uh, or in articles, and the more I looked into it, the more I realized it was a really good fit for healthcare. 
And Barbara, do you know yet if that looks like your students will be able to teach as well as? Well, I know that our students or our graduates are teaching in undergraduate. I don't know yet because we are such a new program, whether there's opportunity to teach at the doctoral level, um, but there's definitely opportunity for teaching. But I think in the field, um, doctor is doctor. So, so far they've had good acceptance. Very good. Sounds awesome. All right. Final call. Anybody have any other questions before we go? Doesn't look like it. I do want to thank our panelists. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. I think people have a really good understanding now of. Oh, hey, can I say something real quickly? Of course you can. I just see that Magdalene's here. I just wanted to do a shout out to Magdalene because Magdalene helped in the initial stages of uh, of us switching to the integrative review. So hi, Magdalene, and thank you. Awesome. And then just a reminder that I am putting together an online doctoral mentoring guidebook. If this has occurred to you that you have other tips on related to this, I would be happy to include them. And there is my email. Um, we will have the final draft of the professional doctorate guidebook here in another couple of weeks. So awesome. And thank you both again so much. And Lita, thank you for all your help on this. Thank you, Dr. Stetlander. And if there's anyone interested in another program and switching your DHA capstone, feel free to reach out. Uh, we worked on all the resources. We even did an exemplar. So if anyone's interested or would like to talk, uh, feel free to reach out. And same. Thank you. Very good. Thanks, everybody. This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing, licensed under Creative Commons.